Everyone else, if you'll turn into your Bibles, we are in Romans chapter 8. Surprise, surprise, I know. We're in verses 28 through 30. Surprise, surprise. Um, Most of you don't even have to open your scripture this morning because after three weeks of being in this scripture, you have it memorized, right? We can just recite it together. Y'all didn't know I I was secretly getting y'all to memorize the scripture. Romans 8, verse 28 through 30, our emphasis is on verse 30 today. God's word, it's written. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in a moment of prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the reason we we split up these three verses into three consecutive weeks is because they're very dense verses, right? Because we have to go back and now we have to do vocabulary work. You know, something, my daughter does vocabulary work in fifth grade. I disliked vocabulary work when I was in school. And, And so, but here we are, the scripture requires us to do some vocabulary work to fully understand and flesh out what it's talking about. So we did some vocabulary last week with foreknowledge and, and, and the way Paul uses predestination there in verse 29. And, and so what Paul does in these three verses, in verse 28, he gives us one of the greatest promises from God that we could ever hold on to. It, it's the promise that in the midst of suffering or trials or tribulation or in the midst of great pain or, or evil that, that we go to and we can cling to and actually bring us hope. It's that promise that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right? What an amazing promise that is. Now, what Paul does after that in verse 29 and 30 is he lays the foundation so that when we hold on to that promise that all things are working together for good, that we can fully understand and believe that God is trustworthy and fulfills his promises. And so he's laying this foundation. And and last week in in verse 29, we learned that, that God has loved and cared for us before the beginning of time. And the good that he is working in us is that we would be more like Jesus. That's the goal. That the good that he is working through, everything that happens to us, is that we will become more like Jesus each time we go through it. Each step we take, we get closer to being like Jesus, who is the image of perfection, who is the only one who is righteous, and who is our Savior. And so then in in verse 30, he He cleans it up here as he's laying the foundation and he begins telling us how God in his sovereign will and love has worked on us and continues to work in us and how it all works together. So while 
He's mentioned calling before in verse 28. We're called according to his purpose. He's mentioned being predestined before in verse 29 when he said predestined to conform to the image of his son. Now he begins here in verse 30 by putting those two in relation together. He said, and for those whom he predestined, and we know that the way Paul talks about predestined, he's talking about those whom he's predestined to be conformed to Christ, right? He calls and, and so now we've got to do the vocabulary work. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. How does all of this work? And how does it make us have more trust in God's promise? Now, as we go here, he begins with uh, those he predestined, he called. So let's look at called first. Now, earlier he writes there that we are called according to his purpose. And to be called, to be called as, as God's people, as his beloved, means that God has overcome sin and rebellion in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw us to Christ. That's God's amazing work in our life, and by doing so, created faith in what was once a hardened heart. And this calling that God uses on us in our life is the same calling in the same language that God uses to call forth light in creation. When he says, let there be light, there's light. The light doesn't say no, the light is there. God's call is an effectual call. It, it overcomes the sin and rebellion. It overcomes all resistance. When God put the call on your heart, some of you have been there before. I remember uh, even my calling into ministry was this way. There was, there was some fighting to it, right? You put up the resistance, but guess who's going to win, right? You know who's undefeated? Not me. God is. God's undefeated in his call. And, and that's exactly true in your life as well. In that moment when you came to Christ, it was the, that God had overcome what was once your heart and heart and had led you to Christ, right? God's call overcomes all resistance because he is sovereign. He is all powerful. And when he does this, it produces faith in Jesus. Now, Paul, remember, he wrote that our calling is according to God's purpose. Not our purpose, his. The call on our life is according to God's purpose. And so as, as we dive into this, God's predestining and his purposing are the same here. So whom God freely chose, he purposed to be like his son. He intended, when he called you out of sin and rebellion, when he put that call on your life to come to Christ, he then purposed you. The purpose was so that you would leave the worldly ways and sin and destruction and decay and come and live and become more godly, more holy, and more like Jesus. That's the calling. That's the purpose in his calling. And so as Paul writes, those whom he predestined, that is, those God purposed to be conformed in the image of his son, he called. Now, the other way we understand calling is when we go and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 26 through 30. Paul writes about this calling here. Now, he's going to use words, he's going to say not many when he's talking about groups of people. Don't understand that to mean that he only, it was an absolute, but when he says not many, Paul, remember, is purposeful with his words, so that means that some were. So hear now these words. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And what Paul gets at here on this calling, as he's explaining it here to the Corinthians, is that God's calling and his purpose is unconditional. His love for you is unconditional. It's not based on our worth. It's not based on weighing the scales of good deeds versus bad deeds. It's not based on anything you could ever do, but it is based wholly on God's love for you, unconditionally. There's no condition upon it. And so when you begin feeling that sense of unworthiness, well, it's true. We're not worthy. But he didn't base his love off that, so get over it. You can feel unworthy, but he loves you anyway. You can feel you don't deserve it, and it's true, you don't, but he loves you anyway. Do you hear that? Write that on your heart. That's a truth that you need to speak to yourself every day. In those moments of self-doubt, when you're getting yourself down, hold on to that. Put away your thoughts and get yourself in the mind of Christ that he loves you anyway. He cares for you anyway, because guess what? As we discussed last week, he's cared and loved for you before the beginning of time. There's never been a moment in your life when God didn't love you. Let that sink in for a moment. And then write it on your heart. It'll change how you walk the rest of the week. So Paul writes, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Now this is the big movement in this sentence that Paul writes. Those he called, he also justified. So it's one thing for God to call us out of sin and rebellion and lead us to Christ. But it's another thing that here in this moment, this move from calling to being justified, there's a huge hurdle. Y'all know what that hurdle is? Sin. It's our sin. Our sin has to be overcome. It has to be dealt with. Not only our sin, but also God's justice, because God is also holy. God is loving, yes, but God is also holy. And so our sin must be dealt with. Now, Scripture is true when it tells us that all of us have sinned, and not a single one of us have reached the glory of God on our own. Not a one. Never will. 
one of the things I think we often miss as the church here, uh, not just here locally, but the church, big church universal, is that we, we've shortened our talks to people who don't need Jesus into, well, I worship Jesus. You need it. If you, if you accept Jesus into your heart, then you get heaven. And they're thinking, well, why do I even need Jesus? Why do I even need heaven? And essentially, at that point, we become fire insurance salesmen. And, and we miss going to the part of our condition, of our sin nature, that ever since Adam, we have had a sin nature in us, that we are a sinful people. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And because of our sin, we've put ourselves as enemies of God. And God is holy. And God will call forth justice. And Jesus tells us in John that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The biggest lie the church has ever given into is to allow us to say, well, my friend doesn't know Jesus, but they're still a good person. Truth is, we can't be good apart from Jesus. That all of our good works, yeah, we may do some good works, but apart from Jesus, they are but filthy rags. They're worthless. And in Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Following Jesus isn't easy. It requires actual sacrifices compared to the way the world works. And we can't be afraid to tell people that. We don't need to deceive them and say, oh, yeah, it's easy. It's a big wide gate for you to get there. Truth is, it's narrow and it's hard if you get to it. But I think if we begin talking to people and we begin pointing out that we all begin with this sin nature, we begin taking them down that narrow path. When we realize that the heart is deceitful above all things, that we're desperately sick, that as it says in Ephesians 2, 1, that in our sins and trespasses, we are dead. This is where we reside. Even if God calls us, that's why this, those he called, he justified. That's why this is this big move, because it's here between being called and being justified that God does amazing work in Christ Jesus, right? Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. Christ goes to the cross. The man who knew no sin takes on our sin to be an atonement. He takes on our sin. We exchange our sin. Past, present, and future. He takes our sin. And in exchange, he puts on you 
his righteousness. You know what that means? When God sees you, he sees his perfect son. He sees you as his perfect son. Those he called, he justified. This justification that happens with the finished and complete sufficient work of Christ is the declaration by God to a repentant sinner that all of your sins are forgiven. It's Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the justification. Because of Christ's finished and complete sufficient work on the cross and his resurrection, you stand before God justified. All of your sins forgiven. Paul says this in Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For it is by faith we are saved. Faith we are called to, and those he called, he also justified. Now, some of you need to hear this. You don't have to work to justify yourself before God. Somewhere along the way, you've allowed your flesh or the devil to begin speaking to you, saying, you're not worthy. Look at all the things you've messed up since you said you were going to follow Jesus. Look at all these sins you've committed since you've been baptized. And you begin believing that you need to do good works to make up and begin playing the game of scales again. As if you can work your way back into salvation. Folks, if you're living this life, you can admit it's exhausting. It's exhausting. You feel like you can never get ahead but hear this truth when Christ died because your faith is in him because you are in Christ it was for sins past present and future at your baptism you were washed clean washed clean So I implore you, surrender yourself to trust, not in your works, but in the finished work of Christ. For those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, He also glorified. This is just Paul's way of saying God continues to work in you all the way to the end. Glorification is the final result. To be glorified is that God grants to that person the privilege of beholding his infinite beauty. 
that you are in his presence forevermore. That he also gives to that person to be glorified is he also gives to the person a new and glorious heavenly body. Right? That we will be set free from the bondage of the decay of this current body. That our hope isn't in the body we have now. Our hope is that we will receive that new body. That means no more pain, no more sin, no more disease, no more cancer, no more addiction. Everyone radiant with the the stunning beauty of Christ. Paul writes this because he knows in those moments of suffering, if we're reading this scripture and we're saying, how are all things working together for good? It's because your good ends with your glorification wrapped in the radiant, stunning beauty of Christ. That is where your hope lies. That is where your joy is found. That is is where peace and comfort pass over. You know, David writes in Psalm 18, verse 30 and 31, he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Now, I want to leave you this day with an encouragement from a wise pastor that was passed down to me years ago. The Father planned it ages ago. The Son purchased it centuries ago. And the Holy Spirit is causing it today in your heart. For those whom he justified, He also glorified. So when you leave, walk upright, trusting wholly in him, knowing that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah.